Good morning. It's great to be back with you again. And uh, like last week, I suggested I would talk about, again, strong faith in the face of crisis. And I don't know if I've been practicing that, but that feels a little easier this week. Um, two weeks ago, Pastor Scott talked about healing and health, and specifically about the faith that we need to be healed. Now, last week, I talked about the faith that we need to face a financial crisis and how God's plan for financial health involves generosity. It takes faith to be generous when you have very little to give. Now, this week, I want to talk a bit about the faith that keeps us believing that God knows what he's doing when we're in the middle of a season when we find it quite difficult to understand why things are happening as they are. We could even call this strong faith when God doesn't make sense. Luke 8, 22 to 25 tells us a story about a time when Jesus didn't make sense to his disciples. It says this, Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and they were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And then they all ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, to the disciples, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, what's interesting here is that Luke, the author of this book, wrote his gospel from notes he took during his time traveling with Peter, who was one of the three key disciples. And the way he tells the story, it's almost as though Peter is taking us with him on this trip. It starts out pretty simply. Jesus says, let's cross the lake to the other side. Now, the Sea of Galilee isn't huge, but it isn't small either. It is a bit of a trip to get to the other side. Several of these disciples are experienced fishermen, and they're quite comfortable setting out on the trip. Then a storm comes up. And from the context, it seems like it came up really fast and really strong. In fact, it looks like this storm was unexpected and dangerous. I think the disciples who were experienced on the water, the ones that were fishermen, wouldn't have set out if they could see that the weather was going to turn. So as their boat is filling up with water and they're panicking, they look over and they see Jesus is asleep. Now, I've made a habit as I read my Bible of watching for things that seem a bit odd, things that just don't make sense on the surface. I've learned that there's often a lesson there. So think about this. The boat's in a storm that has experienced fishermen panicking. I doubt if it was the first storm they were in, so it must have been really bad. That would suggest that the boat was being tossed around pretty violently on the waves. How do you sleep in a small boat that's getting banged around like that? Besides, part of the reason for their panic is that the boat's filling up with water. Where do you sleep in a small boat where you don't get soaking wet when it starts to fill up with water? Do you see what I mean? Like, 
How is Jesus sleeping in the middle of all of this? He must have been getting soaked with lake water and pouring rain and getting bumped and banged around by the movement of the boat. I can only think of one reason that makes sense. I can only think of one reason why he could sleep in the middle of that. It wasn't his storm. Somehow, he had absolutely no concern whatsoever about the storm. Now, I don't want to be judgmental here toward the disciples. That's not the point. But I wonder what Jesus was expecting them to do. What they did was wake him up and make him deal with the storm, which he did. But once he told the storm to cut it out, he turns to them and says, why didn't you know what to do here? He says, where is your faith? But I wonder what he was expecting them to do. You know, when you and I face the storms of life, when circumstances pop up that we weren't expecting and that we just don't know how to handle, how do we react? I know that many of us react by asking God, where are you anyway? Don't you see what's happening? Don't you care that I'm in trouble here? And that's what the disciples did, isn't it? And while Jesus doesn't totally ball them out for it, you can see that he's kind of expressing his disappointment to them when he says, where is your faith? Somehow I get the feeling that Jesus was expecting the disciples to kind of get up in the face of that storm and say, hey, knock it off. I've got the Son of God in this boat, and he said, go over to the other side, and I fully intend to get to the other side. I don't know. Maybe it was just the panic that he was scolding them over. Maybe if they would have woken him up and said, really sorry to disturb you in the middle of a nap, Jesus, but if you could give us a bit of direction, we've got a bit of a situation here. I don't know. What I do know, like I said a minute ago, is that it wasn't his storm. The storm didn't come up to test Jesus' faith. It seems obvious that it was there to test the disciples' faith, not his. Somehow I think that Jesus was expecting that he'd wake up on the other side of the lake and find a bunch of waterlogged disciples drying out on the beach saying, wow, Jesus, did we ever have a rough ride. But We knew that as long as you were sleeping in the boat, we didn't have anything to worry about. So here we are. I I don't know. But you know, here's what I take from this story. When you have clear direction from God, don't let anything stop you. If you know that God has called you to something, keep pressing on until you reach the goals that he's given you. It's amazing how many times in the Bible God calls someone and they complain that they aren't capable. Let me give you three examples real quick. Moses, one of the most powerful leaders in the Old Testament, complains that he doesn't know how to speak. And yet, it took five books of the Bible to record everything that he spoke because really Genesis through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were all written by Moses largely at his dictation. Gideon told God that he just wasn't important enough to count. And yet, with 300 men, he rooted an army m- multiple times larger than his. 
Elijah, one of the most powerful prophets in the Old Testament. And in fact, a prophet who was, uh, you know, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah wanted to quit because he just didn't have the courage to face the queen's threats. Don't do that. Don't minimize your own capabilities when God has called you to something. When you have clear direction from God, don't let anything stop you. You know, I was reading in my personal devotional time this week from Mark, and I came to chapter 9, and there's a very brief story here where a dad brings his son to Jesus and says to Jesus, if you want to, you could help us. And Jesus looks at him and says, if, if you can believe, if you can have faith, anything is possible. You know, the problem isn't that God can't or won't. The problem is that we don't always see what God wants us to see. Now, if you know me at all, you know that I'm not a person who's naturally patient. I don't like waiting, and I suspect lots of us are like that. And because of that, I often used to feel that God was late in his timing. Do you know I learned something? God is never late. Now, he's not usually early either. But when God seems slow, you know, when it seems like Jesus is sleeping in my boat, it's me that has the timing wrong. So, you know, when you have clear direction from God, don't let anything stop you. Then number two, don't lose sight of God's promises. Remember what he tells you. So there's a story that takes place very shortly after Jesus' crucifixion and after his resurrection. King Herod, and if you're a history buff at all, that would be Herod Agrippa, a very brutal king with lots of secular history to substantiate that. And the story is in Acts chapter 12. It says this, Now about that time, Herod the king started to harass the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword in a public execution. And because he saw that that pleased the religious Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter too. Now that happened during the days of the unleavened bread, the feast of Passover. So probably a year after Jesus had died. So when he'd arrested him, he kept him in prison, guarded around the clock by four soldiers in four shifts, intending to execute him publicly right after Passover. So the night before Herod was going to execute him, the Bible says, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, with the other two guarding the door. An angel of the Lord came and stood by Peter, and a light shone in the prison. He struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Get up, quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, get dressed and tie on your sandals. And so he did. The angel said to him, take your coat and follow me. So he went out and followed him. And he did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. <coughs> now, once again, look for the things that seem unusual or like they're just not logical. I don't know about you, but if I was in jail, 
and I was going to be publicly executed the next day, I'm not sure I'd be sleeping. I'm almost certain I wouldn't be sleeping so soundly that when an angel appeared in my jail cell, and the angel was so bright it lit up the entire prison, that the angel would have to kick me in the ribs to wake me up. Peter was so soundly asleep the angel had to tell him, Get dressed, grab your coat, put on your shoes, follow me. He was so groggy from sleep that he had to dress himself and and be told how to do it. He was outside the prison before he finally woke up enough to realize he wasn't dreaming. What's that got to do with God's promises? Well, just a year earlier, right before Jesus left for heaven, Jesus had an encounter with Peter. And as part of that, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, when you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted. But when you are old, another person will dress you and carry you. At the time, it didn't seem like it was particularly helpful. But in that jail cell, Peter had a promise. When you are old. Herod's threat said, I'll kill you in the morning. But Peter put his trust on what Jesus had told him. When you are old. He trusted so totally in God's promise that he had a fantastic sleep the night before he was supposed to be executed. I wonder if he thought back to the storm and the scolding that Jesus gave them and thought, I'm not old. I don't know what God's going to do here, but I'm not old. I may as well have a good night's sleep. Don't lose sight of God's promises. Remember what he tells you. You know, there's that old saying that when the top, when the going gets tough, the tough keep going. There's one more story in the Bible that I want to share with you, and it's another example of a couple of people who demonstrate by their attitudes that they are absolutely convinced that God would give them the strength to do whatever God had asked them to do. In Acts chapter 14, we find the Apostle Paul in a city in Greece called Iconium. Here's what the Bible says. Now, in Iconium, it says, Paul and Barnabas preached in such a way as to convince a great number of both Jews and Greeks to believe in Jesus. The unbelieving Jews, motivated by jealousy, stirred up major trouble against them. Now, what was Paul and Barnabas' response to this? The next verse says, So they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly about Jesus and doing many signs and wonders to help convince the people. There's a lot of trouble here, Paul. What are you going to do? I'm going to stay here for a long time. You know, I'm paraphrasing something that I once heard Dr. George Hill, the founder of our organization, say. He said this, if you're a person with strong faith, you go where you're sent, you stay where you're put, you do what you've been told with whatever you've got until you get fresh orders from heaven. 
strong faith in the face of crisis. The kind of faith that just knows God will look after me as I trust confidently in him. In the middle of this pandemic, where things are really quite uncertain, we don't know if there's going to be a flare-up or if it's going to go back to normal, whatever normal is when we get there. One thing we know for sure is that God is faithful. He doesn't abandon us, and he doesn't ignore us. But there's also a time where he wants us to be confident in the face of uncertainty. Strong faith in the face of crisis. Confidence that God is more than able to look after us in the middle of a pandemic. Maybe you're watching or listening and you realize you don't have the kind of relationship with God where you have that kind of confidence. Maybe you're not sure you know God at all in that way. You know, God is more than ready to make himself that real to you today. And if that's you, I'd like to lead you in a prayer that simply invites God to reveal himself to you and change your life. The prayer just goes like this, and I'll put it on the screen so you can follow along. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. And from this day forward, I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, before I turn this back to Pastor Scott and Yvette, I want to pray for you. I have a feeling that there are folks watching or listening who feel a bit like the disciples in the middle of the storm. The wind of life is tossing you around like a cork and your boat is filling up with water. And I want to pray for you today. Father, I want to pray for those who are watching or listening. And maybe today they feel like life just isn't making a lot of sense. God, help them to reflect on their relationship with you and to remember your promises. God, remind them of your plans for them. Remind them of the times where they had hope for something good, for something great. Remind them of the times where in a time of of worship or a time of of devotion time or a time of, of real encounter with you where there was something that just jumped in their hearts and they thought, I know God is going to do that. You know, if God hasn't done it yet, don't let go of God's promises. Father, help them to refocus their attention on those promises, to stop looking at the storm, to get their eyes off of the circumstances around them and to get their eyes back on you so that their hope and their faith can be centered on you 
and what you plan to do. Father, give them the strength to face that storm head on and push through to a place of victory. Lord, I pray that their faith would not fail, that it would be more than sufficient to get through whatever it is that they're facing. Strengthen them, Father. Encourage them. Bless them, Lord. And give them your hope and your confidence, that hope and that confidence that comes through our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Ron, for that uh, message. I love church. I do. And the uniqueness of this time that we find ourselves in, of meeting online, uh, I, I, I just, I, you know, I've, I've enjoyed it. I've, it's different speaking into a camera rather than looking at your beautiful faces. It's it, very different. Um, it took a long time getting used to. Still not used to it. I'm getting better at it though. Remembering to look actually at the camera because then I'm looking at you in the eyes rather than, you know, like down here. It looks like I'm talking to, I don't know, something. So that, that's the unique thing. Um, but hey, <laughs> here we are. You know, I want to, I want to, um, just close in prayer if I can and, Give God thanks uh, for these opportunities that we've had and the opportunities that you've had to connect uh, in a deeper way with the Lord. And I just want to release uh, God's favor upon you. Uh, in particular, I'm thinking of those who are financially strapped and need a job. You know, one of my nephews is um, was... Uh, apprenticing to be a plumber and all of this stuff hit and now he's he's just on the sidelines and waiting and you know trusting God to open a door for him and I know there's people in our congregation who are trusting God for employment for a job to open up somewhere and an opportunity and I just want to release God's favor upon your life if I can so father in the name of Jesus I pray for all of those that are unemployed. I pray for all of those who are looking for employment. God, I pray favor uh, upon them, that Holy Ghost favor would fall upon them, that when they go into interviews and they connect with people, God, that the employers would see someone who is... Uh, while excited and ready to go to work and someone who will value the company, will value um, all their fellow employees and uh, will become an integral part of their team and will help build the team and not tear the team down. Father, I declare favor upon uh, every person that is listening that is unemployed, Father, that they would be that person. They would see themselves as that person who will come into a company and add value to that company. I declare it in Jesus' name. And Father, also, I want to I wanna just pronounce a financial blessing upon each and every one of us as we heard these great words uh, this morning and these last uh, couple of weeks. 
regarding our finances. God, I pray for those who are, um, well, have been faithful with their money uh, when it comes to the things of you. Father, I pray for them that they would they would find themselves um, witnessing the windows of heaven opening up in their lives in a unique way. Father, I thank you that you continue to provide opportunities for them, growth for them, development for them. God, I thank you that increase continues to come our way. Father, I declare this in the precious name of Jesus. And thank you, God, again for your presence that is here in our lives. And that was present throughout the service today, right from the worship to every aspect of the service. Father, I thank you for your holy presence. And God, I release a blessing upon every family, upon every person listening. God, a blessing upon blessing upon blessing in their lives that they would experience your Holy Spirit in a fresh and unique way, Father. I declare this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. And we hope to see you next week live in person. We're also carrying on with our online presence. Uh, that is the key. That is one of the reasons why we may not um, be able to meet live next week is we need to carry on with our online presence. And so we're getting all of that set up and making sure that everything is perfectly sanitized and we have a good system in place so that when you return, you can return feeling safe. So again, God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Bye for now.